I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, episode 24, The Right of Sodomy. And I'll be reading from The Right of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Engel, volume 4, pages 968 to 977. And I'll start reading. Background on Father Eric Ensi. Father Ensi held the post of Chancellor in the Society of St. John and was one of Father Ortegoides' first disciples at the SSPX Seminary in Winona. Born on August 13, 1966 in Upland, California, a suburb northeast of Los Angeles, Ensi converted to Catholicism in high school. In September of 1987, he entered the St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary in Winona and was ordained a priest of the SSPX in 1995. When Father Ortegoide was expelled from St. Thomas, NC followed him to the Scranton Diocese. During the 1998 to 1999 school year at St. Gregory's Academy, Father NC developed a particular friendship with John Doe, a student for whom he was acting as spiritual director. The priest began grooming the minor for a homosexual relationship by providing him with alcohol and tobacco. The young man was usually drunk when Ensi and he engaged in homosexual acts at school. During Thanksgiving break, Ensi accompanied the young man on a trip to California, where the student planned to attend college the following year. Ensi also took the young man to visit his parents' home in Santa Paula. During the visit, John Doe reported that he was sodomized by Ensi. After Ensi and Doe returned to St. Gregory's, Ensi suggested that the boy should start taking spiritual direction from Father Ortegoide, but assured the lad that they would remain very close friends. In the fall of 2000, John Doe joined the Society of St. John as a postulate in order to avoid Ensi's continued sexual advances. The young man sought out alternative sleeping quarters. Father Ortegoide told him that all the guest rooms were filled, but he could sleep in his room. Doe accepted. A few nights later, Father Ortegoide also began to sexually molest the young man. It was at this point that Father John Doe moved out of Ortegoide's chambers and took up residence at St. Joseph's house a privately owned home bordering the SSJ property that the priest had managed to sequester rent-free. Once the owner confirmed the charges against the SSJ, she kicked them out. More bad apples in SSJ. By early 2002, Bishop Kimlin was aware that Fathers Ortegoide and Ensi were accused of sexual molestation. The District Attorney's Office of Lackawanna County had launched a criminal investigation into the accusations of sexual misconduct by the two SSJ priests, but was forced to abandon the case because of the statute of limitations. Time had run out for the complainant in May 2001. He would have to resort to a civil suit. Bishop Timlin immediately suspended Fathers Ortegoide and Ensi and brought them to Scranton. Timlin was reported to be considering Ortegoide's request to be transferred to another religious order when he learned that the SSJ had other problem priests. Father Marshall Roberts was another SSJ priest who resided with Ortegoide and Ensi at St. Gregory's Academy from 1997 to 1999. 
according to to the Vice Rector of Christ, the King Institute in Grisigliano, Italy, in 1993, Roberts was kicked out of the seminary when he was formed when he formed an inordinate sexual attachment to a fellow seminarian with whom he had become infatuated. Within 24 hours, the vice rector being informed of Robert's designs on his classmate, who did not appreciate the attention, Roberts was looking for new living quarters. Roberts was eventually ordained by the SSPX and later became a founding member of the SSJ. While at St. Gregory's, Roberts befriended a young man from graduating class of 1999 who later became a postulate in the society. In a very regular arrangement, Roberts and the postulate shared the same room and bed in a housing unit on the SSJ property. Father Christopher Clay was another follower of Ordegordi, although he was never formally a member of the society. He was a third possible sexual abuser of John Doe, but his name does not appear in the civil lawsuit because, according to Doe's co-counsel, James Bendel, the case of overt sexual abuse was much stronger with Ortegordi and Ensi. After Bishop Timlin was advised that Clay was accused of also abusing John Doe, the bishop removed him from his teaching position at Bishop Hafey High School in Hazel Township, but with no apparent restriction as to travel. Later, Bishop Timlin offered to reassign Father Clay to St. Thomas More Church in Lake Ariel, Wayne County. But the priest had taken a leave of absence and returned to his hometown of Dallas, Texas, where he attempted to recover from the stress of his encounter with the district attorney's office in Pennsylvania. After Father Clay returned to the Dallas area, he hooked up with an old friend, Father Alan Hawkins of St. Mary the Virgin Church in Arlington. In 2003, Father Hawkins called Bishop Timlin to see if he had any objection to Clay helping him out with mass and parish work. Timlin said he had no objections. According to Hawkins, he wasn't told of the accusations of pederasty against Father Clay or that Clay's case was still under an internal investigation by the Scranton Diocese. In April 2002, Bishop Joseph Martino, the new ordinary of Scranton, wrote Clay asking what his plans were for his future ministry. According to Chancellor Reverend Robert Wilson of the Dallas Diocese, diocesan officials did not know anything about Father Clay, much less that he was assisting Father Hawkins at the Arlington Parish. Father James Early, Chancellor of the Scranton Diocese, said that Clay had advised the diocese that he was working in Texas as a medical insurance reviewer. If his statement is true, this, this means that apparently Timlin kept his own chancellor in the dark as to Father Clay's pastoral activities at St. Mary's. For his part, Timlin defended his actions on this base on the basis that no criminal charges resulted from John Doe's accusations due to the statute of limitation. And he, Clay, was not named in the subsequent civil lawsuit filed by John Doe. One parishioner from St. Mary's, who was interviewed by a reporter for the Dallas Morning News after the Scranton story broke, exclaimed that he's excellent with the young people. They feel like they can talk with him 
Hmm. Let's see. A pederast who is good with young people and makes them feel that they can communicate and confide in him. Absolutely astonishing. The same Dallas paper also reported that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has supposedly authorized an ecclesial judicial process against Irigordi, Enzi, and Clay. The reporter said that Father Irigordi had been recently spotted in the Dallas area. The $64,000 question is whether or not the two accused SSJ priests will flee the country to South America before their trials begin. New victim of SSJ priest comes forward. As of August 2004, the jury trial for the John Doe case scheduled for September 2004 has been postponed. Both the Diocese of Scranton and Bishop Timlin and the FSSP and St. Gregory's Academy have filed separate motions for summary judgment. That is, they seek to be dropped as defendants in the case. Mr. John Zoskak is the latest key witness in the trial. He made his accusation in July 2004. He is the fourth former accuser of Urigordi, the first being the Argentinian seminarian, the second Mr. Selinger, and the third Mr. John Doe. Mr. Zorskat graduated from St. Gregory's Academy in 1999 and then entered the SSJ as a novice the following September. In his affidavit of July 9, 2004, Zoskak stated that during the winter or spring of his second year with the SSJ, Father Urigordi pressured the youth to sleep in the same bed with him. The priest attempted to remove the novice's misgivings by telling him that he held a puritanical attitude and that this was due to a bad relationship with his father. For the first months, nothing happened, said Zoskak. Then, one night, the priest grabbed his private parts. The boy resisted the priest's attentions, and Urgordi took his hands away. Zoskak said he only told one member of the SSJ about the incident. Urgordi later told Zoskak not to tell anyone what happened and that the incident was an accident. In the summer of 2004, when Zoskak went to the district attorney's office to report the abuse, he was told that the criminal prosecution was barred because of the statute of limitations. It is significant that in August 29, 2004, interview with the Scranton Times-Tribune, Bethlehem attorney Joseph Leeson, who represents St. Gregory's Academy and the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter's, stated that aside from the John Doe complaint, there had been no specific allegations of improper activity that in any way involved the school. Nothing happened at the school, and we question whether anything happened at all. Leeson said, this is the only student at the school, as far as we know, who ever made this allegation. Apparently, the FSSP and St. Gregory's are still in denial. Attorney James Bendel did win a victory for his client, Mr. John Doe, when the judge, John E. Jones, ruled that the psychological evaluations on fathers Urigordi and N.C. from Southdown Institute in Canada, where the two priests were examined, be handed over to Bendel Albay under strict rules of confidentiality. The priests have filed an appeal for of the ruling. 
Although Bishop Timlin had ordered the evaluations as part of the standard procedure regulating priests charged with the sexual abuse of minors, he later claimed he never actually saw the reports, and therefore, under the law, the documents are protected by doctor-patient privilege. The priest's attorney has claimed that the priest never signed release forms. In October 2002, Attorney Bendel filed more than 150 pages of Bishop Timlin's deposition for the John Doe case that had been taken shortly before his retirement. Bishop Timlin tried to justify the unjustifiable. Bishop Timlin is still attempting to arrange loans for the Society of St. John to pay off their huge debt. After all, someone has to pay for the 134000 worth of luxurious furniture the Society purchased that included a 6828 bar, a $2,885 cocktail table, and a $7,845 entertainment center a $12,995 desk, a $15,000 bedroom set, and a $26,480 dining table. To date, the SSJ has squandered at least $5 million given by Catholic donors to build God City and the College of St. Justin Martyr, our Scranton Excuse me. Are Scranton Catholics willing to pick up the SSJ's expense tab without a full accounting by Bishop Timlin? Sadly, while Bishop Timlin has obviously had difficulty in suppressing the criminal elements in the Society of St. John, he has nevertheless found the will and the way to suppress the College of St. Justin Martyr, even though its officers were innocent of any wrongdoing. At one point, Timlin offered to grant the college canonical, excuse me, canonical status in the Scranton diocese if Bond stopped his campaign against the Society of St. John, an offer made to other witnesses, not Dr. Bond directly. Timlin has since denied ever making the offer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Carl, you ready to read? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> A couple inches from your mouth. Or where do you? Oh, I'm sorry, right here. In the sixth open letter to Bishop Timlin, sent out on July 27, 2002, Dr. Jeffrey Bond opened the door to the hereto unmask burning question that goes on the to the heart of the SJ scandal. Is Bishop Timlin himself a homosexual whose secret vice has opened him up to blackmail by the Society of St. John? This is a very relevant question given the role that extortion and blackmail have played in the ecclesiastical career of other homosexuals, American bishops and cardinals. Perhaps we will get a definite answer to the question when the John Doe case goes to trial. Bishop Maritano suppresses that. Suppresses? Suppresses. Bishop... James Tinlin retired from the Scranton Diocese on July 25, 2003. He was replaced by Joseph Francis 
Maritano, a former auxiliary bishop of Philadelphia, ordained by Anthony Cardinal Bevelinka on November 19, 2004. Bishop Martino issued a canonical decree of suppression against the Society of St. John. Decision to suppress the Society was based primarily on financial grounds and the SSJ inability to achieve its stated aim in the six years of its, of its existence. The decree was published in the Diocese Papers, The Catholic Light, on November 25, 2004. Bishop Martano has since turned the matter over to the Holy See, which will have the last word on the SSJ. Members of the society are currently in Rome attempting to have the decree overturned. Father Uter, I don't has given, been seen in Rome wearing a cassock, even though he has been suspended from ministry. Further, the Society sent out a 2004 Christmas financial appeal after the degree of suspension was issued. The appeal letter states that the Society of St. John is alive and well. The Society of St. John fraud continues. As for the PSSP, it should consider closing down St. Gregory Academy <coughs> to repeat the warning of St. Anthony Marie Claret, the only morally certain solution to the moral corruption of a religious institution is to close it down and send the students and staff home. If the institute is to be reconstituted, it will need an entirely new facility, students, and priestly support. To do so, this is this is so because there are always relationships which will never be discovered, and if these are present in the new foundation, the conspiracy will be renewed, said St. Claret. One final note, Ellen Hicks, the former headquarters of St. Gregory's Academy, has been hired as the principal to Gateway Academy, a Legionnaires of Christ school in Chesterfield, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis, has appointed as head and still another Catholic private boys' school after his scandalous performance at St. Gregory's in his protection of the criminal pediatrists of the Society of St. John, offer a perfect introduction to the unsolved scandal surrounding Legionnaire's former father, Marshal Mysaller. Okay, John. Did you turn the page? Right, is, it, uh, is it an opportunity now for uh, commentary, John, and uh, analysis? And All right. First of all, what we're doing, overarching this, is about getting good care in the church, making people holy, and uh, criticizing people who are responsible. So let's, that, those are three 
things that come to mind today. I think people get a little bit concerned when we criticize clergy, so I'm going to go into do a deep dive on that. I think we all want to get good care in the church, and there are two themes that came through the readings that uh, I think T and uh, Teresa and I were discussing today about uh, in the last couple of days, last 24 hours about John Paul II. There is the institutional church that people are caring for. That's one wing of the discussion, and then there's human dignity. That's the other wing. There's enough people, according to the mindset of John Paul II, that are taking care of the institutional church. And you'll see them right here. They're taking care of themselves. Uh, some of that was not done so well. Uh, this is despicable behavior. And then we have human dignity. So keep in mind, as we care, get good care in the church, there's care for the church, but there's also care for the individual's human dignity. So I want to keep that Keep that in mind. Now, doing that, I also want to ask myself, does the church have an opinion, a mindset? And they do. And it's something that you won't, I've never heard from my clergy. I haven't heard from my bishop. And that's a report on the crisis in the Catholic Church in the United States. The National Review Board for the Protection of Children and Young People, which was established by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. They published a report in 2004. I've never heard any of my clergy, deacons, priests, or bishops discuss this report. Have you, John? No. Teresa? No. Carl? No. It, it, it is the mindset of our bishops in 2004, our leadership bishops, and they want us to know this. And amazingly, as you get into this, I'm at page 124. I'm just going to give you some, what I call some... Uh, some maps, uh, points for your maps, geographical points. Page 124, the board says, in establishing better communication and clear lines of authority in this area, the Revere Board believes it is important to respect the historical independence of the orders. As one bishop noted, historically the orders have risen up as reform movements when the bishop and the local church have become somewhat lax. The orders thus can represent a useful check on the exercise of authority by the bishops. Now, that's interesting because we don't even think that there should be, that we don't, we don't think in terms of checks and balances, but this is the body of Christ. There's an immune system in our body, and there's an immune system in the church. And they don't talk about how. How many of your bishops have asked you, told you, this is how you can check me if I go bad, if I get dementia, or I misbehave, or my, somebody in the future does? How many of them have shared the mindset of Jesus Christ on checks and balances? I go on, page 125. I just read from page 124. 125, one traditional role of the religious orders. Now, this is the Jesuits that you just heard about, the, jo the St. Joseph's, the Franciscans, the Carmelites, and uh, the Dominicans. One traditional role of the religious orders, he added, is to correct the bishop. I'm shocked. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. To correct the bishop. This is in the church teachings. Carla, have you ever heard anybody encourage you to correct the bishop? No. Uh, how they correct the bishop, it would, it, be sh it would shock me to know that any of my priests in any of the parishes I've been to correct the bishop. Therese? I've never heard that. No. no. Yeah, well, that's in, the in here. One traditional role the religious orders he added is to correct the bishop and to call for greater accountability on his part, the bishop's part. 
The orders, however, did not fulfill their traditional role in relation to the secular clergy in the context of the current crisis. To the contrary, they themselves were plagued by many of the same problems and exacerbated the situation by the same inaction. That I've witnessed. Now let's continue. The review board, Episcopal accountability, the review board found that the failure of bishops to hold themselves accountable for their decisions and to make use of governance structures combined to exacerbate the problem. Let me just add on here. The, the review board found that the failure of the bishops to hold themselves accountable for their decisions and to make use of governmental structures combined to exacerbate the problem. Uh, have you had, I call that digging pits in your, in your path. Have you had any of these structural problems? The, the priests, the clergy, use the governmental structures to thwart you, trees? Absolutely, I have. You know the the power. the The priest is the boss of the church. Yeah. You know he's he's the he he can uh, kill innocents. Yes, he can eliminate a ministry just because he can. And, and and he's done that for retaliation. Yes. And people have gone hungry. Yes, they have. In our opinion, people have died because of a lack of oversight. Yes, absolutely. And, and we're going to go after their conscience. We're we're pat we're we're nonviolent, but we're going to get to Father Alexander. We're going to go back to the bishop, and we're going to talk about. The people who work for the bishop, the uh, the uh, psychologists, the psychologists, the you know, there's judges and there's retired cops that work as investigators. We want you to know this. We want you to know the big picture, the big picture about human dignity and the rules of engagement that they don't tell you. Absolutely. That's what we want. The review board that found that the failure of the bishops to hold themselves accountable for their decisions and to make use of government structures, such like such as you investigators, such as you as psychologists, you're being pimped, you're being used. Think about human dignity. There's two wings to the butterfly, two wings to the angel. One is the institutional integrity. Plenty of people are protecting that. But what about human dignity? Protection of human dignity from tyrannical structures. Evil is not that creative. We're going to talk a little bit about the evil, and uh, we, we, we're going to talk about saints, two saints, how Fulton Sheen reacted, we believe is a saint, not canonical yet, and John Paul too. So keep in mind the failure of bishops. Did you know that the bishops account, the USCCB even talk in terms of a linguistic community that even discusses the failure of a bishop? Let me go on. I just want to give you terminology for your linguistic community. The, uh, consider this. The exercise of authority without accountability is not servant leadership. It is tyranny. That's Pastor Gregus, paragraph 14. Again, in Pastor Gregus, the Holy Father writes, that's Pastorus Gregus, G-R-E-G-I-S. This is 126 of the report. The Holy Father writes, a lived ecclesial communion will lead the bishop to a pastoral style, which is ever more open to collaboration with all. There is a type of reciprocal interplay between what a bishop is called to decide with personal responsibility for the good of the church entrusted to his care and contribute and the contribution that the faithful can offer him through consultative bodies. Pastor Gregus number 44, section 44. And then it goes on in the same paragraph and it uses the word, uh, uh, <clears throat> The authority of diocesan councils established by the Code of Canon Law and the practice of fraternal correction. I wonder, what is the ministry of fraternal correction? The ministry of disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy. If you ain't doing it, it ain't going to get done because they're not going to do it for you. And they won't even teach you about that. So if you're an investigator, did you know that? Are you being pimped? 
Are you a, a psychologist? Did you know that that's the body of Christ? Did you know that you're in love with the, you want to serve the church, but they have maybe kept you on a low info diet? If you're in the military, you know what it's like to have a sentry fall asleep. That's not good. In a hierarchical organization, that's not good. If you have an accidental discharge of a rifle in a, in a, in a, in a military group, harm that can be done. Who's these, these, these? You're working maybe for guardians of the church that are lethargic, lethargic guardians. Think about that. When they hold you, they pimp you by not telling you all the information. Is that too strong of a term, Therese? No, not at all. You know what I'm talking about. What does that mean in your name, in your words? In my words, I don't have the, words. The lack of fraternal correction just grabs your pearls. Girl. Oh, absolutely you it does. Yes, yes, yes. I just didn't understand. Yeah, all right. She yep. needs a little help. I need a little help, a little but yeah. Help. No, it really, it really bothers me that there is no, there, there doesn't seem to be any checks and balances there, and then there's no accountability. Would you like to hear from John Paul too, a special guest, the saint, the great saint? Would you like to hear from him? I would. How about you, Carl? Carl? Absolutely. You want to hear from him? What about you, John? Yes, absolutely. Let's J hear it. John, it might be expensive. Are you sure? Well, you I'm not really sure that I care to hear. That it you right can now. afford him, right? All right. John needs a ride home. This is John Paul II, the great St. John Paul II, Witness to Hope in the Biography by George Weigel. We are at forward to, uh, forward to Basics. We're at page 529. Listen to the terminology that goes on uh, amongst uh, in this book about and commentary about church life in Poland under the tyranny. Remember, you heard the tyranny was the, was the words they used to describe a bishop who wasn't collaborative. And didn't consult or didn't, wasn't, there weren't checks. That was a strong word, tyranny. Tyranny is a really strong word. And here, here I, so here's some encouragement to those of you who, individuals who are resisting the tyranny. I'm just going to take these out of context, but I want you to know that this is in that book, the biography, 529. And this was authorized by John Paul II. We assume, we believe that he read it, he approved it, so he knows about this. The Jaruzelski regime, that was uh, the General Jaruzelski, I think, was in charge in Poland. The Jaruzelski regime could harass this kind of cultural resistance, but it could never stop it. The cultural resistance, now my commentary on that, treats the cultural resistance of truth, truth-telling. John, truth-telling. Do you try to do that in your work, Therese? Yes. Yes, I try to do that in my work. And, uh, you know, uh, with using our conscience, and um, and we get shot down for it. Two efforts you're going to make, new campaign, truth-telling, and also you're going to do your first grievance for somebody. Yes, I am. And both are going to be truth-telling efforts. Yes, they are. Yes. All right. I'm going to try something different. They cannot, they can harass you, and we've been all harassed. You've seen that harassment, Carl, haven't you, by being people being rude? Steve yeah. just walking, Father Steve? Yes. Yeah, he's experienced that. So remember that. They can harass you, but they can never stop it. Let me add here. That was another, I'm right out of context, but it'll, it'll make sense. That was another reason cultural resistance was so important. An independent world of ideas and creativity helps sustain hope in a time of apparent hopelessness. The regime had tried to maintain what the Pope's old friend, Father Malinsky, called a culture of closed mouths, but it had failed. How about that? The terminology, a culture of closed mouths. That's a good one. That is a good one, Therese yeah. said. That is exactly what we're seeing. And you know what they, they associate this term with? Tyranny. Yeah. Tyranny. Folks, evil is not that creative. What went on 
with the tyranny in Poland under the communism, Marxism, we're experiencing our Lansing diocese today. Would you agree, John? Yes. Therese? Yes. You want to, have you witnessed that, haven't you? Yes, I have. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what you witnessed. The lack of masses, closed mouths so bad they won't even publicly pray. Right. I, I wasn't allowed to pray or have masses said for someone who was really sick. And not, yeah, exactly. And not only that, the staff were frightened by the priest to even come to support you publicly. Yes. Closed right. mouths, a culture of closed mouths. Where do you get that in Christianity? It's not Christianity. I couldn't hear you, girl. Seek out. It is not Christianity. You agree, Carl? Yes. Yes, I agree. All right. Right answers. That, I'm that being is it. Over yeah. Here okay. Let's continue. Remember that in your resistance, information was a key to effective resistance through the culture. Uh, and here was another important role for the Polish church. And remember this, the church was a sanctuary for truth-telling in a world dominated by lies. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. The church was a sanctuary of truth-telling in a world dominated by lies. Put that in your campaign letters. Put that in your grievances, folks. Knock on the door of the bishop and remind him the church was a sanctuary of truth-telling in a world dominated by lies. And we have what we call here in our Lansing Diocese Resistance Movement, the, uh, the uh, dominion of the lie, the, and then the uh, empire of injustice. And then it went on. The church was a sanctuary of truth-telling in a world dominated by lies, or as Father Malinsky said, people came to church to find out what the hell was going on in the rest of Poland. You come to church to find out what's going on here our church has embedded into it. It's like spores of uh, the culture of closed mouths and the culture of, uh, and not truth-telling, but the absence of truth-telling. Yeah. You're divisive. You're mentally ill. You're this or you're that. Just disgusting. And uh, let me continue with what the commentary of Fulton Sheen has. We have him as our guest, too. So ask yourself whether you're going to choose to serve God, particularly if you're an employee and you're attracted to and you want to be virtuous and you want to serve and protect the church. You know, you, you, you've got to ask yourself, are you on a low info diet or are you fully informed? If you here, I'm going to go into the contents of the Moral Universe, page 32, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. He, I, I, if you choose to offend God successfully, you may be. Honored you may be, rich you may be, praised by the world you may be, broad-minded and progressive you may be, alive to public opinion and to the new morals of the day you may be, but you will never know how much you have failed, as Barabbas never knew how much he failed the day of his success, but you will be dead, dead as to the life of Christ, dead to the love of God, dead to the ageless peacefulness of eternity." If on the contrary, and I'm speaking to you who may be working for these bishops, contract labor, staffers, second career investigators, psychologists, if on the contrary you obey the laws of God and live as if you were really destined for a life beyond the grave, the battle in which the love of God gains mastery over the love of self may be fierce. <clears throat> and for the short time of your bodily life, every tree may be a cross, 
Every bush may be a crown of thorns, and every friend may be a Judas. Poor you may be on this earth, with no comfort than a carpenter once had at Nazareth. Sorrowful you may be, as each day brings to you a new cup of passion, filled with the bitterness of Gethsemane. Solitary you may be, with not even a Veronica to wipe away the salt of righteous tears. Scorned and ridiculed you may be by a world of darkness that comprehends not the light. Thirsty you may be as your soul in the fire of its crucifixion cries out for the cool draught of a divine refreshment. A failure you may be, an unworldly dreamer, a fool, but in all the world's burnt wilderness, your food shall be the manna from the paradise of God and your drink the fountain of everlasting life. But alive you shall be, alive to Christ, alive to the Spirit, alive to life, alive to God. And if God is your life, then who can take it from you? Page 33, we end. What a beautiful statement that happens to be on page 33 of this beautiful work of St. Fulton Sheen. Can you, is it, does that help Therese comfort or... How would oh, you describe yes. that? <laughs> it's it's beautiful. I can't describe it because it was just so well said. It's just it's beautiful. All the staffers, yes. all the successful staffers, who, because of you, the closed mouth society continues to operate. Yes. Think about whether you want to choose to offend God, or you choose to serve God and obey the laws of God. You investigators who cook the books instead of investigating. You choose to offend God or do you choose to obey the laws of God? Are you going to use the, the, uh, the defense that uh, they used at Nuremberg? I just did my duty and followed the boss. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. No, it's Think not. about that. Think about becoming a whistleblower. If you're a staffer, there's opportunity. Don't leave. You don't have to leave. You say, oh, I got to support my family or I got this commitment or I'm not strong enough to leave. Oh, that's fine. We'll teach you how to whistleblow with an, an ethical will. You can be there. You know it intimately. But become holy. Grow in your capacity for service. Ask questions. We'll teach you how to ask questions. Ask declarations of problems. Carl, anything you can say, does that yeah, Teresa, let him go ahead and pontificate. Pontificate. Saint the Polish Pope, uh, John Paul II. Yes, John Paul II. Uh, he was a saint, and uh, he, he, him, and Reagan uh, were actually uh, responsible for the. Uh, the wall coming down in Berlin and for the uh, Polish being liberated, for for the communist countries being liberated. And Brezhnev, uh, his mother was a Catholic uh, that was ahead. And uh, that was, uh, in my time, uh, something that I, I really looked forward to seeing. And Mary said it would come about, and it did. Uh, uh, thank you. Okay. So it's about one of the things that 
we are talking about here in this uh, trying to boil the fat off the bone and cut to the chase here is that there's plenty of people that are taking care of the institutional church, but they've gone to a such a degree that they have trampled human dignity and they're to actually serve. The church is there to serve human dignity, to uplift it. Christ revealed the face of God and truth of human of the human condition. And we have to think about that. We have to think about how we respond. You know, and there's so many temptations to respond in a, in a way that just says to, to, to you serve the world of power. To serve the world of power. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and instead of Instead of that truth that liberates. So think about that. And there are uh, very powerful ways to tell the truth. To live without being a liar. Think about that. And celibacy should be fruitful and live for the kingdom. Life in this kingdom is perfect self-giving. Do you see that? You see that self-giving or you see selfishness? I've experienced selfishness with, I don't see self-giving. I see limits. The parish boundaries are being limits. So much, Tracy, that comes to mind when we think about, is that self-giving the parish priest that we have, FSA, or is it self-limiting selfishness? I, I think it's definitely self um, selfishness on, on his part. Um, you know, to say things to, to people who, you know, have a heart for certain ministries or whatever, and to say, you know, I'm not feeling it. You know, how selfish is that? Yeah. I'm not feeling it. Not even take time to talk about it, discuss it, see which way it's going, why you want to do it. Uh, didn't even, didn't even discuss, just said, I'm not feeling it. You're talking about something that we're going to discuss. Teresa's talking about the priest is saying, I'm not feeling it. Instead of saying, uh, that's a standard, it's a flip side of arbitrary and capricious, which is to rejected by the, the church. It's a form of justice is to avoid arbitrary and capricious. And, and the priest would just say, I'm not feeling it. No. I, I had another example pop in my head, too. And this was the one where um, um, our parish priest, Father Steve, he... Um, we had a ministry going, a community luncheon ministry, and um, he was he was upset with me because I did an affidavit, and uh, I'm not going to get into all that right now, but it was uh, because this is how I got involved with all of this and started realizing how how many people are being um, lost and hurt, a mentally ill woman. To get back to the community luncheon, what he said was, you know, he was going to shut it down if I didn't stop speaking with uh, Mike Gitarski. We were helping this with this woman. And um, um, and if I didn't stop doing that, um, I would, uh, they would shut down the ministry, uh, the community luncheon. And they, that's exactly what they did. And they said the reason that he could shut it down was because he's the one that started it. So uh, re- remember that, that, you know, I'm going to tell you a little bit about evil. So, you know, evil is a certain lack, limitation, or distortion of the good. So if you're working for uh, bishops and your staffers or you're working for priests, Consider what evil is. There's a certain lack. There's a limitation or there's a distortion of the good. I'm going to leave this with your final thought. 
about human because human dignity is uh, is inscribed in the human conscience. This is human dignity uh, was inscribed in the human conscience. The quest for freedom is a rising, not a receding tide in the affairs of the world. The quest for freedom. The laity want to be free. They don't want their mouths closed. You can close five mouths and you'll see some others' mouths open. Open with witness. Open with the truth. And so we encourage you uh, with our campaigns, with letters, our grievances, our cries of distress, our voices, to share those voices, those cries of distress to the bishop, to others, and to share those cries of distress with the hierarchy, including the church court, even knowing that something is not going to happen or that you're not going to be received well. And they, in a culture of closed mouths, you're measuring their lack of capacity at service. And that will affect their conscience. You're showing them that under your regime, under your tour of duty, innocence has died. Innocence has died. Barabbas has been set free. That's not a good... No. No, I just I, I wanted to add about that community luncheon and, and it getting shut down. Um, when you think of all the lives that were being um, enhanced, they were coming to scripture, they were sharing about their families, they would eat lunch with us and we would all talk. It was a, a beautiful community. And to shut it down because he didn't want um, he, he didn't want me advocating for a woman. He didn't want a public witness about events, the truth. He yes. did not want a, a public witness about human condition. condition right. He wanted he wanted that uh, closed mouth. He wanted my mouth closed. And he would punish you if you didn't close Oh, he did. Yeah, he wanted to punish me. I mean, he said he would punish me. Well, he didn't say he would punish me, but he did he one thing after another. Acts. Yes, he did say he would take certain acts. after your husband. Yes, he did. And uh, took me off Eucharistic minister, took me off uh, lector, shut down the community luncheon. Um, I still have people coming up to me on the streets. Um, you know, we skirted around it and we are doing things, but... Um, we miss the the camaraderie, the place to come to be involved in a church community. Uh, we we miss that, and those people miss that, and they need it, and they're hungry for it. So, if you're working as a staffer for the diocese of the parish, remember remember uh, that uh, when when they try to erase God and His image. That's contempt for man and human rights. When there's an attempt to erase God and his image, that's a contempt for man and human rights. Okay? And when God becomes the enemy of human dignity, that, that's not good. They are inverting things. And so that's not God. So when they tell you that you're serving the parish, it's in the best interest of the parish. When they tell you it's in the best interest of the bishop and the diocese, and they're actually erasing God and his image by, by the image, meaning by the human dignity that our Father gives the soul, that's, that's not good. Okay? And, what, what they, and when, they, when you're serving a bishop or a priest or whatever and believe you're serving God, and you're the enemy of human dignity, you're not serving God. That priest and bishop are not serving God. There's been a, sur a surrender. There's been a surrender. And uh, you remember that. Don't surrender. Don't surrender. F fall in love with God. Become holy. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father was perfect.
And remember the Good Samaritan, the availability. Don't be simply, there was one that was available. The Good Samaritan was available, not simply curious, not simply curiosity, but was available. Our clergy and our staff, uh, some, there was exceptions, but on the most part, they were not available for the those who were uh, behind the medical building, the homeless and those things. Would you agree, Therese, for the, the majority? Oh, availability? Yeah. They were not available. Um, maybe in a, uh, what do you call that, a pony show? Um, you know, dog and, dog and pony show. Thank you, John. Um, you know, they would they would do things that made them look good. I mean, I can go into a lot of things that I've seen. I'm not going to go there, but... The professional Catholic. Yes. Yeah. All right, John, this is the point in our podcast where uh, we maybe have Carl say a, a, a concluding pair. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get that right down there. Oh, Lord, we ask that you help uh, Michael and, uh, and all the people working for him in this endeavor. Uh, I never dreamed that we had so many uh, priests there that were homosexual. I just didn't know that. Uh, I thought there were a few. And so I ask you, Lord, to, to help and heal them to heal and to, you know, to, to give somebody to work with them and for them because uh, they sure need it. And we thank you for everything you've done for Michael and his staff. And we we bless your holy name. Amen. 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 All right. This is the end of the podcast, then. So I'll end it here now, then. <laughs>